0: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.
1: Welcome to America's Web Radio. This is Ron Bachman, and you're listening to Healthcare Insight. I want to make a little change today. Instead of talking about health reform and how the coronavirus may affect uh, reform processes as we move forward, instead of saying, okay, after all this is done, we're going to get around to a political election and we're going to be talking about various forms of repeal and replace Obamacare, what the legislation is going to look like or could look like, and what you can do to create uh, the personalized health care we've been talking about for the last several weeks. Today, I think the coronavirus issue is so important that I'd like to focus on it. Now, I know that America's Web Radio has other medically oriented programs, but I've come across a Dr. David Price from Cornell University, and he has a full interview and presentation to other doctors around the country. And I think hearing the word directly from a physician, talking to other physicians in simplified terms about what the concerns, what the issues, how to protect themselves, what the patients look like, what they're going through is extremely important. There's probably almost a million views at this point of Dr. Price's presentation. So I've taken it from YouTube, and there were a number of interruptions during his full presentation and some glitches, so I'm going to cut out those and try to ask the leading questions uh, that kind of give a voice, my voice, to the uh, presentation and try to help the audience along to understand what he's going to be talking about and some of the importance of the issues. So stay with me today as we listen to uh, Dr. Price, the first Part of the presentation, Once you to hear about some of his credentials and what he's going through as a doctor in New York City. And then we'll come back and we'll talk about each of the other segments and messages that he's trying to get across. This is the most powerful, most empowering information that you can get as a potential patient, as a family member, as somebody who has contracted the virus, or if you're just sitting around being worried about it, I think his message is very uplifting because he gives us facts. So let's listen, and Dr. Price, give us a little bit more of your background.
2: So just a quick um, introduction as to what's going on in New York. Um, I work at probably the premier hospital in New York City. Um, It is a 1,200-bed hospital. Um, We do everything from surgery to transplants, lung transplants, heart transplants. Um, At this point, we do none of that. Almost none of that. Um, Our hospital is almost exclusively a COVID-19 hospital. Um, And so people enter through a secure gate in the front, um, where in the past what I've been doing is seeing old people with pneumonias or seeing people with bleeds. Um, almost exclusively what I do all day long is see people with COVID-19. Um, but we're learning, and we know a lot. And what I want you guys to know is that um, every single day we're getting better. We know more. And I am confident that the stuff I can tell you today um, should make you guys feel um, like when this comes to your community, that you don't have to be scared and that you can protect your family.
1: So, Dr. Price, tell us exactly what is COVID-19?
2: So this is um, a virus. Um, It's from what we would colloquially think of as a common cold family, the coronavirus family. Um, But what's unique is that um, the human body has never seen this virus before. Um, And so this obviously started in Wuhan. The thought is that it came uh, probably from an animal. Um, And then made its way into the human body for the first time. And so one of the common questions I get is, what does this disease look like? Um, And so what commonly people have is they have fever, and they have cough, and then they have sore throat. And when they get this, the virus goes through their entire body. And what we have found is that the most likely place that this will affect um, is your lungs. And so um, people will commonly have cough, um, but for about 80% of people, you just don't feel good is the most common thing. You have a mild cough, maybe you have a little headache. Um, the disease lasts, um, from what we're seeing, um, between 5 to 7 to 14 days is probably the best accurate description. Some people who have a mild disease by about day 5 um, are starting to feel better. Um, And then people um, who aren't feeling better um, usually start to get short of breath around day three to five um, and then um, start to feel better around that seven-day
1: mark. Dr. Price, could you give us some ideas on how to protect your family, how to protect yourself? Um, How do you get the COVID-19 virus to begin with? And maybe some simple statement about uh, maybe how it's communicated throughout the uh, community. How does it How does it uh, transmit itself? Um, and so what is um,
2: the first kind of big topic we're going to talk about? Um, and I think the, the reason I wanted to have this call is how to protect your family. Um, and I think we've learned a lot, and I want to kind of share um, all of the stuff that I've learned so far with you guys. Um, so I think the first thing is, How do you get COVID? Um, And I think that this is really important, and we've really learned a lot uh, over the last couple weeks to months about how you get this disease. And so the overarching theme is sustained contact with someone who has this disease, which the vast majority is people with fever and aches, or someone who is about to get the disease. So someone in the next one to two days who is going to develop symptoms of this disease. And so the way that you get this is the transmission of the virus almost exclusively from your hands to your face. From your hands to your face. And so it's either into your eyes, into your nose, or into your mouth. So there's a lot of talk about contact or getting it through contact hands to face there's also a small thought that it can be aerosolized that it can kind of exist a little bit in the air the thought at this point is that you actually have to have very long sustained contact with someone and i'm talking about over 15 to 30 minutes in an unprotected environment meaning you're in a very closed room without any type of mask for you to get it that way but to very simply state the overwhelming majority of people are getting this by physically touching someone who has this disease or will develop it in the next one to two days and then touching their face. And so that actually I think is incredibly empowering. And that's as I've been in the hospital the last two days, I've the the thing that makes me smile a little bit is that I actually know now that I won't get this disease because I know how to protect myself. And so I just want to give you guys a few very, very practical tips to how to protect
1: yourself. So, Dr. Price, I'm really glad, as most of our audience is that you're not going to get sick. You know how to protect yourself. Give everybody out there listening the same four rules so that they won't be able to get sick. They can protect themselves. They can be empowered. Okay, a simple statement of
2: fact. COVID is in your community. I'm going to say that again. Whether you live in Texas, whether you live in Tennessee, whether you live in Florida, it is in your community right now. That is not to scare you. That is to just tell you so that you can then take the steps that I'm talking about and not be scared. So the first step, which I think is incredibly clear, is to become a hand Nazi. Know where your hands are and know that they're clean at all times. So very simply for what this means for me in the city is that I walk around with Purell. So walk around with Purell. And so every, when I leave my apartment, everything that I see that I'm going to touch, I make sure that I Purell first. So when I leave my apartment door and I go to the elevator, it's okay that if I touch it with my hand, but then I Purell. When I go downstairs and I open the door, you touch the door, you can open it with your elbow, but if you touch the door, and I make sure to Purella it. So we know that if you keep your hands clean, that you're not going to get this. The second point is that this is not a disease that we're getting because someone is sick and touched something, and then an entire community of 10 people get it because they touched that. It's mostly from sustained contact with people who have COVID-19. Out of abundance of caution, we also make sure that everything we touch, we're cleaning our hands. So that's the first thing is become a hand Nazi. Everything you know about your hands is keep them clean, and you will not get this disease. The second thing is you have to start psychologically working on the connection between your hands and your face. So I'm terrible at this. I touch my face all the time, literally all the time. Um, you don't even realize it You move your hand, you know, you scratch your nose. And so the virus has taken advantage of this. And the reason why everyone gets this disease is because you have sustained contact with someone. So someone at a party has this and you shake their hand, right? And then you touch your face. It's that simple. That is how you get this disease. So what does that mean? I think there's two practical things you can do. One is just to start to be aware of when you touch your face Atul Gawande, who is a um, uh, Harvard-trained surgeon, I think is very famous, um, actually has a recommendation for people to just start wearing masks. And the idea here is not that the mask is going to prevent you from getting COVID. Because as I said, it's not a disease that you're most likely getting from the air. But the reason to put on a mask is because, and I do this in the hospital, is you stop touching your face. And so what I would recommend is now when you're leaving your house is to wear a mask. And it's and I think those two things combined is incredibly powerful and will prevent the transmission of disease into your family in 99% of cases. To know your hands are clean and to not touch your face. Period. There are going to be an obscure 0.01% of patients who get it and will just never know. These masks that people are wearing are not protecting them from getting disease. And front hair health line workers need these masks right now. That's not to say don't wear a medical mask. If you have one, that's great. Put it on. But it doesn't mean you have to have a wild supply of masks or N ninety fives or anything like that. The general community has zero need for an N ninety five mask. Zero. In the hospital where all I do is take care of patients with COVID nineteen I only wear a mask, of a N95 mask, if I'm in the room with that patient doing something that's going to make them have aerosolization of the, the, the virus. That is no one in the community. So to summarize, always know where your hands are. And what I mean by that is when you leave, just become aware of when you're touching stuff that's not pr- from your protected home environment. So if you're going to go to the grocery store. If you're going to touch the the cart, just clean the handle. If you go into the store and you see people around, don't touch them. It's incredibly simple. The fourth thing that I'll say, which is the thing that the the government is talking about, it kind of is the same principle, is distance yourself. And And so the four things, I think I said four things, always know where your hands are and have Purell. When you touch stuff that's outside your home, just make sure that you're washing your hand. Start to learn how to not touch your face. A really good way to do that is to start wearing a mask when you're out. And if you want to practice, wear a mask when you're home. Number three is you don't need an M95 mask or, or a medical mask. Any mask will do because this is not preventing the disease. This is training you. And then the fourth thing is just stay away from people.
1: Great advice, Doc. Just hang with us. We're going to take a quick commercial, and we'll be right back with Dr. Price and more on how you can prevent yourself and your family and know more about the coronavirus and how to handle it. Right
0: back. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.
1: Want to give your family or loved one the perfect gift? Then go online and check out the TornadoBodyDryer.com. I love mine and the warm heat air massage it gives me after my shower. The Tornado Body Dryer is super. You'll love it, and you'll love having one in your shower. Welcome back to America's Web Radio, listening to Healthcare Insight. And we're talking with Dr. David Price from Cornell University. He's got a very powerful, very important message for anybody out there listening. How do we take care of ourselves? How do we take care of our family members? How do we keep from being scared? How do we recognize that our neighbors are not our enemies? Is this this virus every place? Or is it just in some of the hot spots that we need to worry about, Doctor? Give us some of your insights.
2: So I think this, when you understand those four rules, the next thing that I think is so important becomes true. You don't, you don't have to be scared of the outside world now. You don't have to be scared of your neighbor, and I've actually found that to be incredibly liberating right now. So in New York City. Um, We're receiving food from delivery men. Um, We have to go outside to the grocery store. Um, It's a time when we're all really scared. Um, And I think it's what makes it worse is to when you go outside and to look and think that the person next to you is going to somehow harm you or harm your family. But when you know that the only way you're going to get this disease is if your hands are dirty... And that if you touch your face and that if you are way too close to that person, that becomes incredibly liberating. And then all of a sudden the person at the store is not your enemy. If there's someone who's going through this with you, the delivery person is not your enemy. They're a hero. They're going out and and delivering food at a time when there's a communicable disease that they don't understand. The mailman is a hero. You know, these are people that we have to, the same way we're, acknowledging and celebrating health care providers. When you understand this disease and know exactly what to do to prevent getting it, then it allows us for the next couple weeks to months to be able to, to sustain the system that we have. We have to be able to have now. We have to be able to get delivery. and seamless in New York City. It's the only way we eat. Um, but if you can protect yourself and you know your family's safe, then I think that's empowering. And so what I would highly encourage you guys to do as the country is shutting down is find your isolation group. Find your um, your your group of three people, four people, your family um, and set down. That is it. The people who are going to get this are people who are maintaining large social circles at this point. So what does that mean for my family? But there's no one coming in and out of the house they can still go to the store and you can go to the store without any fear because you know, if you wash your hands and you don't touch your face, you're not going to get this disease. And so it's very important at this point to keep your social circles small. Don't be putting yourself in a situation where you have a lot of contact with a lot of people because it's just a vulnerability. You don't know.
1: That's all great advice, doc for avoiding disease, but what happens If I get disease, one of my family members gets a disease, how do we interact? How do we deal with a situation like that?
2: So the third thing um, that I want to talk about is something that is inevitable, which is what do you do if you get this disease? And this is, I think, if you listen to nothing else through this entire thing, just please listen to this part. In Wuhan, China, um, throughout the world, the vast majority of spread of COVID-19 is through home and family transmission. So I'll say that again. Throughout the world, the way this is transmitted is from husband to wife, father to son, daughter to brother, whatever. <laughs> whatever. Um, and so, again, that's incredibly scary. But it's also something that, if you understand the rules, is incredibly empowering. So what do you do? If you develop a fever and you are otherwise fine and isolate yourself from your family. So what does that mean? It's just simply about the same rules about hands and touching your face is you don't want sustained contact with the person who's sick to the point where you're going to be able to pick this up off of surfaces or off their person and then touch your face. So what are people recommending? If you're able have the person in a separate room. If you're able, have the person um, who's sick have their own bathroom. If the person has to come out and interact with people in the family, this is a perfect indication for one medical mask. And the reason is you want to put the mask on the person who's sick. And so if in our apartment, if I was sick and I had to come out and interact with my family, before I would leave the bedroom, I would wash my hands. I would put on a mask and then I would go out and maybe I would sit down and eat food at the table. And then after that, when I was done, I would eat the food. I would put it in the sink. I would make sure that anything I touched, which is a very simple area on the table is just washed. And then I would go back to my room. And so the point is to not have sustained contact with someone in your home who has this disease. You're going to want to take care of them. You're going to want to be in and out of there. How are you doing? Checking their temperature. Don't do it. If you're touching the temperature probe constantly to their mouth, that is where the disease exists. And then you're going to get it on your hands. Then you're going to touch your face. And so you shouldn't be scared to stay at home with your family. with fever have COVID-19. The vast majority of people are going to have fever, body aches, Feel like shit for three to five days. Feel a little less less shit on seven, and then they're going to start to feel better. You can start interacting with your family more as you feel better, as your fever is gone. But you're still going to be vigilant. You're going to be washing your hands. You're going to be a lot more confident. Twenty days is that if you have COVID and you've recovered and you've isolated in your 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 room for seven days and you've been able to get food and when you've been with your family you've worn a mask and you're feeling better, come back out for your your family's life, keep a mask on and wash your hands. So I think that that is a very simple way to
1: do it. Dr. Price, what do I do if I have a mild cold? I'm not sure if I've got coronavirus. Do I need to get tested? Give us some background and your thoughts in those areas. What do I
2: do if I have a mild cold? And so I think given how rampant COVID-19 is at this point, I think if you have something that feels like a cold or you feel like you're getting sick, is take the precautions that you have COVID-19 for one to two days. If in one to two days you're feeling much better, and this is like the thousand other colds that you've had in the past year because you have kids, you don't have COVID-19, and then you can go back to your completely normal um, living at home life with your family. So I think it's just important that the place we get into danger is people being too cavalier when they're developing symptoms and giving, exposing their family too early, and then when they get fevers and they're staying at home, is that they're having too too much interaction with your family. You can have COVID-19 in your house and everyone else not get it and be protected and completely safe. There are a couple exceptions to that, and I think this is important. If you have a vulnerable population in your family, so if you're living with your um, lovely 95-year-old grandmother, um, if you know there's someone in your house who had recent chemotherapy and someone in the house gets sick, you need to find another living arrangement for that patient or practice Incredibly, incredibly strict isolation of that family member. We know that the older population is the, the sickest population um, when they get this disease. And so that is the one caveat to the it's safe to stay home with your family. Is if you have someone who's incredibly vulnerable, you need to um, set up a situation in the house where they're completely isolated from the person who is sick. Um, Maybe you could have another person um, take care of that family member in your house so you have no interaction. But simply being in the home with someone with COVID-19 will not get you that disease. It goes back to the same three principles. It's touching a person or a surface who has COVID-19 and then touching your face. And so lastly, when do you go to the hospital? And so I think probably the question that a lot of people are asking is, If I get COVID-19 and I feel short of breath, am I just going to go to the hospital and die? This is where I'm probably the most (laughs) qualified person in the country to to comment on um, what it looks like when people are coming into the hospital and sick. So first you should go to the hospital. If you're feeling short of breath, come to the hospital. That is the rule. That is the clearest thing. It's not, I have a fever. It's not, I think I have COVID-19. It's not I can't stop having those body aches. It's I feel short of breath when I get up to go to the bathroom. Those are people that should come to the hospital and be evaluated. At Cornell right now, what we're doing is a lot of the people that come to the emergency room, we're sending home to live out the the four or five days of their disease so that they can feel better. And we say, oh, you look completely fine. Go home. But what we're also seeing is that people that feel short of breath um, who come to the hospital some of them go onto the floor and just are short of breath for five to six, seven days, and then they go home. So of the entire population of people who get COVID-19, about 10% need to go to the hospital because they get short of breath. Of the 10% who are coming to the hospital, about one to two to 3% of those are required the admission to the ICU and to be put on the ventilator. So what happens when people get put on ventilators? The vast majority of people, overwhelming majority of people, come off the ventilator, and they usually come off the ventilator seven to ten days later. Um, But I I think the important thing for you guys to know is, going to the hospital is not a death sentence. It's a safe place for you to be. Um, Go to the hospital when you're short of breath. Don't go to the hospital just because you have COVID nineteen.
1: Thank you so much, Doc, for those those encouraging words that especially going to the hospital is not a death sentence. I think so many of us think this is like the Black Plague, that when we get the uh, the virus, that it's just downhill from there. And if we get admitted to the hospital, it might as well be admitted to the morgue because we see these truckloads of bodies being pulled out of some of the hospitals on the evening news. There's so many things that we can do, and the smart ideas, the four steps that you're talking about, I hope are things that everybody in this country will learn to do, will learn about, that they'll be emphasized um, on the almost daily presidential briefings by the experts in Washington, D.C. I would hope actually that they would be able to call on your expertise and what you've seen on the front lines. So I know there's so many more things we need to get into. There's a whole series of questions we want to talk about in the next two sessions. So Everybody will hang with us. I hope you're finding this informative. It's not political. It's not about economics. It's not putting money before lives. It's all about how do we focus on keeping ourselves healthy, helping our family members. If we do get something, what's the likely outcome of that? There's so much that we're learning here today from Dr. Price. So stay with us. We're going to come right back for a whole series of Questions and answers that I think will be the same questions and answers you might have at this point in time as well. So we'll be right back. Want to give your family or loved one the perfect gift? Then go online and check out the Tornado TornadoBodyDryer.com. I love mine and the warm heat air massage it gives me after my shower. The Tornado Body Dryer is super. You'll love it. And you'll love having one in your shop.
0: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.
1: Welcome back. You're listening to Healthcare Insight on America's Web Radio. And we're hearing the responses and comments from Dr. David Price, who is a physician in New York. He's on the front line seeing this. He's one of the heroes that we keep talking about and hearing about and seeing about. Maybe many of you listening and have family members just like Dr. Price. But he's giving us the real lowdown, the real nitty-gritty of what's happening Uh, on the front lines in the hospitals. So, doctors, there's a few more questions that we want to ask. One of the first questions that everybody's going to have is, um, should they get tested? When should they get tested? Does it differ by community?
2: And then I think the question that we're going to get a billion times over, and I don't have a perfect answer for you at this point because it's different in every community, which is, should I get tested if I have the disease? If I'm a generic 35-year-old who's sick, I think it depends on the availability of testing in your community. What we know right now, now that people are home, is that if you have, and not having a lot of social contact, is that if you have diseases, like if you have symptoms like the flu, it's likely you have COVID-19. And nothing that I've told you about behavior, about interacting with your family, a lot of that stuff would change by knowing that test result. The caveat is is if your community, whether that's New York or Tennessee, is testing a lot and you have clear access to testing, absolutely getting the test is a good idea because when it's negative, then in a day when you're feeling better, you can have full interaction with your family. So I think that is the key. But if you live in a community where there's very rare testing going on at this point, do not try and jump the line to someone who's actually short of breath and, do, and really not doing well, just to make yourself feel better to know that you have it. Just take the precautions in your home that I said and then as, resting te- as testing ramps up, then we'll be able to, to get more people tested.
1: Doc, what's the effect of the virus on newborns or young children? What's been the evidence so far? Okay, transmission. Transmission.
2: Um, How does this virus affect infants and newborns? Excellent question. Didn't talk about it. Um, There have been um, reports of infants and newborns who have contracted COVID. Um, We don't think that it's vertically transmitted, meaning we don't think that it goes directly from the mom to the fetus. The suspicion is that it goes um, uh, after through contact. Um, The thing that I think makes a lot of parents, uh, doctor parents in this world very happy right now is there's almost no COVID disease in the population from age zero to age 14. So I'll just state that again. Kids are not getting sick. Now, there are some exceptions. You know, there's a recent New England Journal article where they went into a hospital in Wuhan, China, a pediatric hospital, and in the entire hospital of 300 kids, they found 2% of them or 4% of them had COVID, which really looked like cough or asthma. So kids are not dying. Kids are not getting critically ill. Kids are not getting sick. There's a whole debate about whether kids are transmitting this disease. It's probably true. Um, But I think if the the gist of the question is how does this affect infants and newborns, um, it's really not.
1: Could you answer the question about airborne transmission, especially in the hospitals, so that our first-line Defense, those doctors and nurses out there, how are they dealing with the coronavirus and the possibility of the transmission uh, just by being in the hospital, being in the environment? Um, Is there really airborne transmission that not only our providers ought to be thinking about, but that would ultimately relate to how we deal with uh, other people in society?
2: keep reading conflicting information on whether COVID nineteen is airborne versus droplet transmission, do they absolutely know for sure? And so I think if I know Bay well, this is a a question about protecting nurses. Um and so I can tell you um what we're doing in our hospital and what our experience has been. And so um, What we know is that the vast, vast, vast majority of COVID-19 transmission is droplet. Getting a droplet, so something that comes from your mouth, either goes onto your hand or falls onto a surface and then is very quickly taken up, touched, and put on the hand and put on the face. So what does that mean, Bay, in our hospital? And so the only time that we wear an N95 mask which is to protect against airborne transmission, which is getting it just from particles in the air, is when we're doing something to a patient to make them spit a lot. So when we like suck in them or we do something to disrupt them, that's the only time. The vast majority, ninety nine percent of the time, or ninety that's not true. Eighty percent of the time that the nurses are in the room with a COVID patient, they're just wearing a simple surgical mask. Only when they're doing things that are going to make them have to get secretions out or spit, which is called an aerosolizing procedure, are we uh, using N95 masks. So the direct answer to your question is there's probably a small amount of airborne spread um, for nurses, and I know we have a lot in our family, in Hong Kong and Singapore, doing those precautions, which is only wearing a surgical mask when seeing a patient, and only wearing an N95 when doing an aerosolizing procedure, there was zero transmission to healthcare providers. We do have healthcare providers who are getting sick, and they're getting very sick. The people who are getting sick are one very clear population, which is healthcare providers on the front line who are having extensive contact with patients and not protecting themselves. So it's, for the most part, general practitioners who are in the office in New York, it was three weeks ago, who didn't know that someone had the disease and spent 25 minutes in the room and then did a nasal, you know, check their nose. And those are the people that are getting sick. It's emergency room doctors who three weeks ago in New York City did not know the level of protection that they needed when they were interacting with people with active COVID-19 disease. What our experience is in our hospital, and we've been doing this now for three weeks, is if you wear the proper protection, you can interact with these patients indefinitely, and zero people get sick.
1: For those of us in isolation, sitting around watching TV, can you tell if it's okay for us to go outside and take a run or a walk?
2: Amazing question. Yes, please. If you're in a city, you can go outside. Just follow the rules. When you go outside, pre all your hands when you're going to touch the elevator button. When you touch the door, pre all your hands. Don't touch your face. When you're out walking in the city, don't come within three to six feet of people say hello, smile. No one is giving each other this disease by walking through a city. If there's a bike path, you can walk on it. The only caveat is just don't get sloppy. Don't, you know, the, the problem with telling people they can do things is that everyone just assumes their old lifestyle. That is not what I'm saying. I'm saying it's safe in New York City, in Philadelphia, to go on a walk. Just follow the rules. Just follow the rules. I would encourage you to wear a mask, not because you're getting the COVID from people when you're outside. It's because as a society over the next couple of months, we need to train ourselves to not touch our face. And we need to tell people that we're taking this disease seriously. It's not because you need to wear a mask in the city because that's how you're getting the disease. It's all back to the basic two to three rules. So, yes, go outside, have a short walk, breathe, know that the world is going to be here
1: and then go back inside and follow all the (laughs) rules. Doc, what you're thinking about deliveries, groceries that are are delivered to your house, or anything else that might uh, be delivered, because so many people these days are doing takeout, they're trying to figure out how to get things delivered to their house, groceries, whatever it is. Uh, That's been a trend for a long time, but it's actually, of course, sped up a lot. Because so many of us are isolated and don't want to go out and are fearful about going out. So how should we handle that? And is it necessary that we have to wipe down the groceries or the bags that we get delivered to us?
2: Is This disease is a wimp. Coronavirus is a wimp. It dies as soon as you disinfect it. I think the general um, answer to that is no. Um, I think that, you know, if you live in New York City um, where there's a lot of... um, contact with stuff that you're getting delivered i think it's a reasonable idea to have the delivery person leave the food that they're delivering to you outside your door um you could probably pick it up with a, a glove and then just open the, the bag and all the inside contents are fine that's it. an overabundance of caution but i think is reasonable what you don't want to do is high five the delivery man you don't want to shake the delivery man's hand you don't want to pick up the, the plastic bag that you're getting seamless and, you know, have a, a huge long interaction with that bag because of course it's possible delivery person has COVID. But again, if you follow the rules and everything you touch, you just clean your hands, you will not get it. Continue to order food. Um, but no, I don't think you have to have routine groceries wiped down.
1: Doc, what about my clothes? If I go out, And have any exposure to the general public? Do I need to come home and wash my clothes, clean myself off, change my clothes? What do I need to do? I need to change.
2: Absolutely not. Absolutely not. That is a recommendation for healthcare providers. Like for me, who um, I live in rooms with COVID patients, you know, for 12 straight hours. Um, For me, I will take off my clothes and wash them. And I have a whole procedure for that. Um, For people who are generally going out, who are following the rules, wear your clothes. That's no problem.
1: Doc, if you do become sick, how long should you wait before you go to the hospital?
2: Um, so I think we uh, loosely addressed it, but I'll directly address it, which is don't go to the doctor, don't go to the hospital. Um, the only rule for going to the hospital is if you're short of breath. What is amazing now is the, during the COVID um, outbreak is the use of telehealth. And so by far, if you feel sick and you're a little nervous, Um, Whatever your health care provider is for us, it's, you know, I work for Wall Cornell. We have Wall Cornell Connect. Um, We have an army of doctors who are at home waiting to take your call (laughs) who will tell you um, that you have uh, uh, nothing or that you have COVID-19 and you should stay home. So do not go to the doctor. Um, Do not go to the hospital. Um, I would encourage you to use talent medicine, which is completely rampant right now because we have a ton of doctors who are at home and will take your call over the internet.
1: This is such great information. I feel like we're drinking from a fire hose. There's so many things that people need to know to be able to deal with their everyday life as well as deal with all the anxiety and concerns and avoiding the depression that can come from these times of total isolation and wanting to be with your family, wanting to be with your kids or your grandkids. So this is enormously helpful, doctor. And um, I hope, again, those people listening will stay with us for our last segment. We've got a lot of more uh, pointed questions uh, that people have that I'd like to ask. And I know the doctor is going to give us some great answers to this. So if you're trying to figure out how to live with all this, how to survive through this, even thrive through this, because there's some good things that can turn out, how you uh, better deal with your kids through the internet, how you can have um, FaceTime, how you can uh, make connections to people that normally would be at work, but now they're at home. So you can make phone calls to friends and family. Just tell them that you're thinking about them, uh, that you hope they're doing well. And uh, that kind of social connection can be a little different for us, knowing that everybody is in the same boat. Uh, so stay with us. Let's take this quick commercial break, and we'll be right back for some more great answers to questions.
0: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.
1: Welcome back to America's Web Radio. I'm Ron Bachman, and you're listening to Healthcare Insight. And today's lessons on Healthcare Insight is really about uh, the coronavirus and how a doctor on the front line is dealing with situation, what he sees, what his recommendations are, and ideas in support of how you can benefit from his experiences in the hospital and with corona patients so that you know how best uh, to move forward, how to overcome some of the problems and issues that you may face. And one of the big issues that many people are still uncertain about is what about the incubation period? Once you've come in contact with somebody who may have the virus or has been tested uh, positively uh, after you've had some contact with them, What's the incubation period that you have to worry about as to whether or not you've been truly exposed to something and you're likely to come down with the virus?
2: Incubation period, if no signs, no. Uh, John, I think um, the incubation period um, is probably dependent on exposure. And so people who are exposed to a lot of disease, like an emergency room doctor who interacted with a patient for a long period of time without any protection could be anything from a couple days. To someone who um, doesn't, um, who has an interaction with someone with very mild symptoms, and it can be upwards to 14 days, um, which is where the CDC recommendation is for people to stay home for 14 days. And then there's been the rarest of um, uh, reports of it being beyond that. So I would say if you had a casual contact with someone um, and you you don't feel sick at 14 days, then you probably are not going to develop
1: COVID disease. Here's another question. What about the um, age factor? How does it differ by age, and how does it attack people in different ways? Is everybody susceptible to this?
2: Again, everyone listen. Please listen to what I'm going to say. This disease affects everyone who's not in the age group of 0 to 14. So 23-year-olds. 35-year-olds, 45-year-olds with zero medical problems are getting this disease. People like that are coming to the hospital. People like that are going on ventilators. There is a very evil narrative early in this um, disease that said that this is only a disease of old people and people who have hypertension or people who have diabetes. That is not true. I can tell you, because all I do is take care of patients, it gets the entire spectrum of ages. So that includes older people who do worse. We see a little bit more older people. but We see a ton of 35-year-olds. And we will understand it someday, but we don't understand it right now. And so it's not to scare you. Just follow the rules. If you can get this disease from age 20 years old, maybe 16 years old, all the way up to age 105 and you can get sick and end up on mechanical ventilation on a ventilator the younger you are the less likely that is to happen the older you are the more likely that is to happen but we see young people who get really sick and we see old people who do just fine and so chris i don't think we know exactly um, why young people are also getting sick but it's just to say follow the rules if everyone does it you're going to be fine you're not going to get the disease if you get the disease, follow the rules. You can protect your family. Most people will be fine. If you're short of breath, go to the hospital. So we're just trying to make it as simple as possible.
1: Talk, tell us again about the symptoms of having the virus. And if you just have a cold, are there any medications you shouldn't be taking that might um, exacerbate the situation should you actually have The virus.
2: And so, I think I touched on what the symptoms are. The vast majority of people are going to feel body aches, they're going to have a sore throat, and they're going to develop fever. Upwards of 90% of people are going to have fever. Um, So, I think that's what it looks like. Um, Very interesting question about ibuprofen. We're not using it in the hospital anymore. There's really good data from Germany that um, there's uh, worse outcomes in people, more inflammation in people who use ibuprofen. So, that's simple answer, which is if you have a fever, take acetaminophen Tylenol. So don't use ibuprofen, use Tylenol. It's very simple.
1: Dr. Price, I'm sure some of the listeners would like to hear some real inside information on some of the treatments you've uh, given the patients and uh, how you've dealt with it uh, actually uh, at the bedside.
2: It's actually fascinating because they all look exactly the same. Um and so everybody has a cough, everybody has a fever. Um most people come into the hospital, um, they sit on the floor and they just have fevers. Um a lot will be nervous, which is completely understandable. Um they look like anybody else. Um what we see for people who get sick is they get short of breath and then over one to two to three days they get more short of breath. And then they get so short of breath that they can't walk to the bathroom. And then we put them on a ventilator. And then our experience has been that these people um, usually settle out over the next one day. And then between 7 to 10 days later, far in a complication, um, we're able to get these people off the ventilator. Um, at Cornell, we're 14 days into this. Our first patient was um, a 39-year-old who is now home. Um, So he was a 39-year-old who needed mechanical ventilation. He is off mechanical ventilation, and he is safely at home. And so, um, you know, this is dealing with these patients is, for a doctor, incredibly simple. They all look the same. They all get the same treatment. For them, it's scary, and it's our job to kind of make them a little less scared And what I tell every young person or old person that I have to put on a ventilator is we're putting you on because we are going to get you off. And I think that's true. So if you have people or you know people who are sick and they're short of breath, they shouldn't be scared. They should go to the hospital and we will take care of them.
1: Doc, what you're thinking about homemade masks, and if anybody uh, listening in has some actual masks, the surgical masks or the uh, N95 mask, uh, what do you think they should do?
2: think so what i would say is if you uh, what the main role for a homemade mask at this point um, should be for you to use so that you can free up if you have medical mask so that you can give to hospitals or friends or medical providers so if you're sitting on a stash of n95 masks, you don't need those masks you do not need those masks so i would if you have a homemade mask or handkerchief And you can wear that. That would allow you to give those masks to your friend who's a doctor, your friend who's a nurse, your friend who's a respiratory technician, so that their hospital is adequately equipped.
1: Here's another question that people have been asking. Is there going to be a second or third wave? How does this thing progress into the future, and what should be anticipated about being the so-called new normal?
2: Yes, so I think this is incredibly predictable. Um, And so um, I think social distancing will be for um, months to potentially a year, um, which I know sounds like a lot. But I think the the experience from Wuhan, um, the experience from um, Singapore, the experience from South Korea um, is that the first thing you do is you flatten the curve. Um, The first thing you do is you bring down the amount of cases so hospitals don't get overwhelmed. And then by human nature, people will become a little relaxed with their social distancing And so there's then a second small spike. And then after the second small spike, um, it usually comes under control in the population. And so I think social distancing is something that you need to just put in your brain. Um, I think it's something that is just the way of life for the indefinite future. But now that you know the rules, it's not something to be afraid of. It's just a different way of interacting. And as this becomes controlled over the next three to six to nine months in this country then you'll know exactly who you'll be able to hug. You'll know exactly who you'll be able to touch. You'll be able to, uh, I think, feel better. I'd say the first focus for everyone on this call over the next seven to 14 days is to learn the rules. Learn the rules. Because as soon as you learn the rules, it's empowering. And then you can start living your life in a new normal, which will go on for three to six to nine months. (laughs)
1: if I'm unaware that I even have the disease, can I still spread the disease?
2: Yes. I think the, the answer is yes. And so this comes from the, cu- the cruise ship data. Um, and so I think um, there was a, a concern, a big concern about asymptomatic spread, meaning um, people who never have symptoms of the disease spreading it to people who then have symptoms of the disease. What we know from the cruise ship data is that that asymptomatic spread, it turns out that most of the people who received the virus from someone else, the person who they received the virus from becomes symptomatic in one to two days. So it's likely that people who get this disease are shedding the disease one to two days before they have fever. So what does that mean practically? It means that if you develop COVID-19 and have a fever, no who the people are in your life you interacted with over the prior two to three days and let them know because then they can do, they can follow the rules. They can isolate themselves in their house. They can create a separate bathroom. And then after two to three to four days, if they're not feeling symptoms, they're probably not going to have COVID disease.
1: Doc, are people becoming immune after they recover? And is this a good sign if that's occurring for this thing coming around next year and the year after that and the year after that? And what's the impact and intensity of this disease going to be in the future?
2: Yes. People are absolutely becoming immune. The, the stories you're hearing about people having rebound um, symptoms is usually the fact that they just haven't fully resolved the disease. So let me say that more clearly. <laughs> so we know that from the, a day or two before you have the disease, until about 14 days into the disease, that you're spreading the disease to the environment. We know that because scientists have done tests of the nose every single day to know which people are going to spread the disease. They don't do it to everyone, but the scientists know who those people are. What they have observed is that at 14 days, people will not be shedding the disease from their nose, but then at day 16, they will be. We don't think that that's because they've relapsed in their disease or not developed immunity. We think it's just because they're slowly coming down and the test is just picking up a little bit. And so the vast majority, so 81,000 people in China got this disease, 76,000 have recovered with antibodies that prevent them from getting the disease. The natural course of this disease is that once the world sees it, Coronavirus now as a pandemic is going to enter the circulation the same way rhinovirus is in our circulation, the same way that respiratory syncytial virus is in our circulation. But as it mutates, it's going to get milder and milder. And so five years from now, um, you're going to get coronavirus, this exact COVID-19, and it's going to feel like a cold. Just not the first time through the population.
1: Final question, Dr. Price. What about this concept of herd immunity? That is, everybody gets sick and develops immunizations and the whole of society uh, won't have to uh, worry about it anymore. That's happened in some of the European countries like the UK. What's your thinking about that? I think what the UK is doing is, is completely
2: incorrect. Um, herd immunity will happen, um, but to instantly allow a, a virus into a population and to get 60% of your population sick will overwhelm your healthcare system. So I think everybody in the world right now is kind of pursuing a flatten the curve. People will get sick. Let's decrease the amount of people that don't get sick. And over time, 18 months, the population will develop some herd immunity. The disease will get more mild. Um, and... Uh, uh,
1: That's not a a, a strategy for right now. Well, that's Dr. David Price from Cornell, physician on the front lines. We thank you, David, for giving us this insight and this hopeful bit at the very end of saying this is going to pass. It's going to get weaker over time. We're going to get natural immunity just like we have to everything else and it'll be very much uh, like the flu or a common cold uh, maybe a few years from now. And we may have some immunizations, and some therapies that will help us along the way. We'll join us again next week, Thursday at 11 o'clock on America's Web Radio for Healthcare Insight. We'll be talking more about the healthcare issues of the day and also about health insurance reform, which has been the core of much of what we've done over the last year. We'll get back to that next week, but I thought this was really important to have this interview with uh, Dr. Price. So we'll see you next week, and thank you for listening.